Well, it's almost time to open those presents. How many of you are December 24th present openers? Wow. Six people. So really, I can take my time, right? There's nothing. No big rush to get home. I was thankful when I was growing up, we were December 24th right after church present openers. And as a child, I tended to resent the pastor a little bit, if I'm very honest. Chop, chop, man. Bigger things, to, bigger things to do in my young life tonight. I'm so glad that you're going to do all of that this morning, uh, or rather tomorrow morning. Part of the big attraction, of course, and I, I think I can tell your kids, there's, I looked it up in the, in the Decalogue of Christmas gifts. If you go to church around Christmas time, you can open at least one present that same night, okay? <laughs> that assurance was given last night, and I think some kids took us up on it. I hope I haven't created a stir and more family drama in a season that can be complicated already for all too many families. But honestly, with all that goes on, at least for children, what comes next in the Christmas celebration of opening those gifts is is one of the big attractions. It's one of the delights of being a parent, too. If you're fortunate enough to have the right gift and you give it to a grateful child to see the moment when that bow is open, the wrapping comes off, and the child sees what he wants, and he didn't think you would get him because it was way too expensive or way too hard to find, that's a great moment. This afternoon, I'd like to talk to you about the greatest gift that's ever given. And you probably know exactly where I'm going. If you think I'm going to tell you about Jesus, you're exactly right. And not only that, I'm going to use the single most famous verse in the whole Bible, I left my Bible beside me because it's a very well-known verse. Maybe you've heard it before. It's found in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John literally means the good news of John, the the good news that John tells. And it's written by an eyewitness of the life of Jesus. What makes the Gospel of John different than all the others is because apparently John was Jesus' best friend on earth, the closest disciple to him. John and John alone gives you some very unique stories, particularly personal conversations that Jesus had that we wouldn't know of unless John, his dear friend, had told us. The most famous of those conversations takes place one night between Jesus and a very religious man. Nicodemus is an esteemed religious leader. In the strictest, most conservative, most observant, most exacting religious movement in Judaism. Nicodemus came to Jesus one night, John tells us, and he started Jesus off with a tremendous compliment. He said, teacher, we know that you come from God because no man can do the things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus doesn't even engage the compliment. He immediately goes to the heart of the matter, and that's my purpose tonight in the few minutes I I want to take. He tells Nicodemus this strange phrase that has become part of our culture, often to be mocked. He tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And that creates one of the most awkward, talking, past-each-other conversations recorded in the Gospels because Nicodemus has absolutely no idea what Jesus is talking about. 
He says, how can a grown man be born again? What are you talking about? And Jesus gets very clear, very specific when he says in John chapter 3, verse 16, this. These are the words of Jesus. Now, this isn't mere religious tradition that I'm reciting to you. This was not made up as part of religious machinery. This was a personal conversation that Jesus, the Son of God, had with a man who came to inquire of him and praise him because of the notable work that God was doing in the life of Jesus. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he, God, gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world, Jesus said, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So tonight or tomorrow when you're opening the presents, remember that that began because people long ago recognized that God is the giver. God is the greatest giver. There's a lot of things that make a gift great that I find in this passage. One reason that makes a gift significant, worthwhile, that makes it great in your eyes, is the person that gave it to you. There are all kinds of things around my home and office that would be absolutely worthless to you, but they have great value to me, not because they're worth anything monetarily, but because of the person who gave me that little object. Let me show you an example. This has been in my office for about eight years now, I think. It's a rock painted to look like a ladybug. And the ladybug has frankly had a rough go of it. If you're in the front row and you say, that doesn't look much like a ladybug or at least a ladybug who's suffered some kind of horrifying industrial accident, you would be right. The ladybug in all these years has lost both eyes. The second eye fell off last night when I picked it up off the shelf. Now, why would a grown man keep a rock painted like a ladybug with no eyes, not a particularly good ladybug in the first place, in his office, and why would he cherish it? Why would I misplace it yesterday for about 30 seconds, 30 terrible seconds, where I thought, where's my ladybug? Because on the bottom of the rock in... A very childlike hand, it says, Dad, you are my rock. This matters to me because one of my boys gave it to me years ago. You see, some gifts matter because of the giver. That's what Jesus is telling us here. The gift of his son matters so much because God is the giver. God has a lot of bad press these days, but let me tell you what God himself has told us that he is like. God himself has told us that he is perfectly good. In fact, that same apostle, that same disciple that Jesus loved summed up one aspect of God's character when he said these famous words, God is love. Everything you've ever loved, every loving impulse and sacrifice that you've ever made in your life, whether you believe in God or not, I promise you is a reflection of the fact that you were made, you were created in the image of a God who is love and loves you. 
That's why your heart is oriented toward loving people and sacrificing for them. Sometimes against, obviously, your own self-interest because God is love and God is a giver. God is holy too. Holiness is an almost completely outdated concept in the modern culture. In the language of the Bible, holy means separate, other, literally a cut above. It means that God is quite different than I am. Not only that he is good and not only that he is gracious and not only that he is just, that he is just a being of an entirely different category. He's powerful beyond description. He spoke the world into existence and he made this finely tuned planet so that it would sustain and not only sustain life, but that it would, human life here would thrive because we are the crown of his creation and the object of his love from the very beginning. So a God big enough to speak everything you've ever known, including yourself, into existence, he is giving you a gift, Jesus says. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that's what we celebrate in a Christmas Eve service. That's what I've been talking about in church for the last three weeks. The magnificence of the giver. But that's not all that makes a gift special. We say, and we're right, and there's great truth to it, we say it's the thought that counts. But there are certain kinds of gifts that capture our heart much more than others because we understand how very much it costs the giver. When we were missionaries in Mexico, I once was about two miles up in the mountains, in the Sierra Madre Mountains in northern Mexico. And I went into one of the poorest homes I've ever had the privilege of visiting, one of the poorest places on earth. No water, no electricity, scant food, of course, no refrigeration. Just a simple little home made out of adobe about one-fifth of the size of this stage. And there a lady gave me a very simple meal, and as I looked around at her scant supplies, I understood that I was quite literally taking food from her table and from her family. And it filled my 30-something-year-old heart up because I understood how much this particular gift was costing the giver. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Parents understand that, I think, better than people who haven't had the blessing of being parents. See, I have two boys, and I'd like to think that I'm made of stern enough stuff that I'm willing to live my life for my children day by day, and in a moment of great danger or need, I would step forward to lay my life down for theirs. That's part of the understanding you Acquire, it's part of the deal you make when God privileges you to be a father. But to give their lives knowingly? I'm not saying to risk their lives in service to others, but to absolute, with absolute certainty send them to die knowing that they would for someone else who hadn't sought it, who might not appreciate it, who might reject their sacrifice. I honestly can't fathom a love like that. And that's what John says in John 3.16, the Father did. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And if you've grown up in what we used to, what we sometimes call Christian America, you've probably heard that all your life. 
but it may not make that much sense to you. The operative word in this little statement from Jesus and the only negative word in the whole statement is that word perish. Sometimes I wish the translation were less poetic and more direct. Perish means to die. Jesus is saying that God sent him, the Father sent him, and the Son willingly came so that lives could be rescued, so that people wouldn't have to die. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And see, that's the third reason this gift matters so very much. Gifts are great, first, sometimes because of the giver, other times because of their immense value, and thirdly, because of what those gifts achieve. That's why we all kind of mock, and we've had these jokes going at my house for two days now. That's why we laugh about socks and underwear for Christmas, right? (laughs) They're just not going to achieve much. They won't matter that much. We were going to buy those anyway. That's why you get the sidelong glances from the kids when you dare wrap that up and pretend like it's a Christmas present. (laughs) They don't achieve much. Some gifts, though, are life-changing. Those are the gifts probably we most remember. Sometimes gifts on earth actually are life-saving. Years ago, and I have permission, their permission to tell this story, I wouldn't tell it otherwise. A family with five boys went through a harrowing experience. The eldest, Luke, was a football player at Edison High School. Big, strong kid on his way to play college football. And one day, Luke had a nosebleed that wouldn't stop. And if you're raising boys and they're active and they're athletes and they go hard, you understand that nosebleeds are part of the deal, but these were constant and they wouldn't stop. That led to an emergency room visit. And I believe it was Hogue that said and ran a few tests and said, you need to go to chalk and you need to go right now. Last thing any parent wants to hear. Well, the appropriate tests were run, each I'm sure scarier than the last. And then two terrible words were pronounced as a diagnosis. Aplastic anemia. And when I first heard that, I heard anemia and hung on to that and thought, I've, I've known a lot of people who have anemia. That, surely that's not that big of a deal. But the scary word there is aplastic. What it means is that your bone marrow is diseased and is no longer producing blood cells that will sustain your life. And Luke was told that in his particular case, what was needed was chemotherapy to kill off the diseased bone marrow and so that he could continue to live a bone marrow transplant. That, the doctors assured him, would save his life if only a donor could be found. Well, as soon as we heard that, I'm sure several hundred, if not thousands of people, because Luke's a popular kid, hoped to be a donor. Anybody would have given him that gift. But see, here's the trouble. Not anyone that wanted to could give him that gift. There had to be compatibility. There had to be a match. Well, I've already told you the good part of the story. Luke has four brothers. 
the, younger, the youngest one's twins. And both of the twins were matches. And one of them, I think, put his hand up a little faster than the other. I'm not exactly sure how that worked. Both were willing. One was chosen. And in a procedure that made his eyes get a little wider than I'd ever seen them the day I saw him at the hospital, he gave his brother a life-saving gift. And a substitution was made. See, in simple human terms, that's what Christmas is about. God is holy, unapproachable in his holiness, so much so that the Bible tells us there's not a righteous person on earth who always does what is right and never sins. And that puts a separation between God and us, and it leaves us with a chasm that we cannot cover ourselves. And here, if you want to hear a pastor tell you the truth, that's the great failure of religion. It invites you to try harder and do better to soothe your conscience so you can someday do enough to reach God. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus said that he became compatible with us. That he was born into the human race. That God, eternal God, always God, perfect God, was born, reduced by his own choice to human flesh as the Son willingly came where the Father sent him and he became compatible with us. He entered our experience so that as we saw in church a couple weeks ago, Jesus the man was tempted in every way as we are with this saving difference. The Bible says he was tempted without committing sin. That's one striking difference between Jesus and me. I'm tempted and I sin. He was tempted in every way that I ever have been or ever will be, but without sin. He was compatible. He entered into my experience and he did it better than I ever could or ever wanted to. In fact, he did it perfectly. And now he offers his life for mine, a substitution, an exchange of my sin for his salvation. And that's what makes the gift of Jesus so spectacular. Not only does it come from the greatest giver, not only does it have the greatest cost, but it achieves the greatest good because Jesus says if anyone believes in him, in other words, if anyone trusts him, if anyone is willing to stop trying to figure it out and do it on their own and be better next year and simply trust that he has done it all and that it has been enough, Jesus says that person will not perish but have eternal life. Life forever. Life with God forever. See, that's one of the things when you get to be my age, that's one of the things that makes Christmas, every new Christmas, so special. You understand that you're counting those Christmases down. Maybe for a lot of you, you've done the math and you realize that you have fewer to look forward to than you've already enjoyed. Jesus is saying that he and he alone can fulfill the fondest yearning of the human heart to live forever, to have eternal life and better life than we've ever experienced here on earth with the blight of sin hanging over us and popping out of our hearts at the worst possible times. That's how Jesus loves you. When I was beginning to understand this, my mother invited me to read this verse and put my name in it so that I could understand as a small child the magnitude of what Jesus was saying. So I read it as a little kid like this, for God so loved Bruce 
But he gave his only son so that if Bruce believes in him, Bruce should not perish but have eternal life. And when I read it like that, it made sense to me. And I trusted him. And I can tell you that he made the difference. And I'm very far from a perfect man. I'm a sinful man, but I'm a forgiven man because Jesus died. He made the substitution so that I could have eternal life. That means that for those who trust him and receive this gift, your last breath on earth is your first moment in the, Father, in the Father's house, the place that Jesus went ahead to prepare for you. So I'll be perfectly clear. That's our invitation to you. We have found Jesus to be absolutely trustworthy. We have proven it not only from Scripture and in reading, but in personal experience. He actually is the Savior of the world. He is the one that God promised and the only one that ever could who could save his people from their sins. He has and he will, and he can do it for you if you'll only trust him. I'm not talking to you about joining a church. I'm not talking to you about having a better resolution list next year and actually doing all the stuff. That's not Jesus' message. His message is grace and trust to receive the gift that God offers the world. The irony is that the gift has been known and the gift has been shared in personal conversations and church pulpits and radio broadcasts and every kind of imaginable way for years, sometimes very poorly by people who are unbecoming of the Savior and other times by people who are sincere, who you can see the love of God in their life. Here's the Here's the point. Regardless of the messenger, this message is absolutely true and trustworthy. And he can save you if you will only turn from your own efforts, turn from your sin, and trust him. I invite you that you would, that you would receive the very greatest of gifts. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I pray since you are alive and well and you've returned to the heaven from which you came and you draw people's hearts and you're patient with us and you were patient with me. I pray that you would speak personally to those who need to hear from you, not from me, need to hear from you so that they would put their full trust in you and they would be saved from perishing. They would receive from you tonight the gift of eternal life. I pray that you would give them assurance in doing it, that you would speak past their doubts, past their fears, past their resistance, pull them to faith and trust in you as you have so many others, and reassure them, Lord, in your love that you have done as you promised that your birth, your death, your life and resurrection were enough to save them. Thank you, Lord, for loving us like that. Help us to live constantly in the confidence that you love us like that. You love us so very deeply. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. joining us on this edition of Cross Points. If you have any questions about what you just heard, please call our church office at 714-848-5511. If you are nearby next Sunday, we have services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Visitors are always welcome at Cross Point, and we hope you'll choose to worship with us when you're near the Huntington Beach community.